If someone murdered your daughter and unborn grandchild, would you be able to forgive that person? Would you let that person see or talk to your only surviving grandchild? Would you fight for that person's early release from prison? I am Bill Swafford and I am your host of Murderers in Ohio. So we got a killer on a run in Ohio. I am continuing on with 88 counties of Murderers in Ohio. In this episode, I will be talking about a case from Stark County. That is spelled S-T-A-R-K, Stark County. Stark County is in the northeastern part of Ohio, maybe an hour from the Pennsylvania state line. Cities like Canton, Beach City, North Canton, and Hartville are some of the cities that make up Stark County. I am going to talk about the city of Canton and Lake Township. Both are in Stark County. Canton and its metro area is the 8th largest city in Ohio. Canton's population, though, has been on a steady decrease for the past few years. The city of Canton is known for being the city of the National Football League Hall of Fame. Also, William McKinley, the 25th President of the United States, spent most of his life in Canton, Ohio, and is buried there. Lake Township has a population of around 30,000 people. It became a township back in the year of 1816. Stark County has a lot more to it than just farmland and small towns. So why did Stark County receive nationwide media attention back in 2007? It all started with the disappearance of a 26-year-old pregnant woman from Lake Township. Jesse Davis was a 26-year-old single parent of a 2-year-old boy named Blake. Jesse was also 9 months pregnant. Jesse and her son had a home in Lake Township. Jesse is white with long brown hair and a big smile. Jesse was in a relationship with a 30-year-old black man named Bobby Cutts. His last name is spelled C-U-T-T-S. Bobby was a Canton police officer. Bobby is also Blake's dad and possibly the father of Jesse's unborn child. On June 15, 2007, Patty Porter called law enforcement to report that her daughter, 26-year-old Jesse Davis, was missing from her Lake Township home. Patty had gone over to her daughter's home to find that her daughter, Jessie, wasn't there. Jessie's two-year-old son, Blake, was home alone. There were some things that pointed to something not being right. A bottle of bleach had been spilled on the floor. Some of the furniture had been damaged and overturned. Then young Blake was saying things that did not make sense. Patty said that her grandson, Blake, was saying things like, Mommy broke the table, and Mommy's in the rug. The phrase, mommy's in the rug, why would any two-year-old say something like this? That right there caught people's attention. Jesse's home is a two-story home, and at this point I am not sure how far Patty had gone into the home. Patty had last seen her daughter two days before Jesse's disappearance. A search would start for Jesse Davis, who was one week away from her full-term pregnancy. 
Law enforcement found out that Jesse was last seen at a local grocery store called Acme Fresh Market. There is video footage of Jesse in the store with her son Blake. Law enforcement had to figure out what could have possibly happened to Jesse. At this point, this was just a missing person situation, with the possibility of it being a whole lot more than that. Apparently, Jesse was the type of mom that just wouldn't leave her son alone. June 16th and the 17th, the following days after Jesse was reported missing, Patty, Jesse's mom, some of the neighbors, and law enforcement searched around where Jesse lived, but could find nothing that would lead them to Jesse. Law enforcement did interview people about the disappearance of Jesse Davis. Bobby was never considered a suspect for the disappearance of Jesse. The fact that Bobby was never looked at as a suspect for at least the first couple of days surprises me. Bobby had secrets of his own. Bobby was actually married, but separated. And it also is said that at this time, Bobby could have been dating up to six different women. So why didn't law enforcement look farther into Bobby, a Canton police officer, from day one? Boyfriends and ex-boyfriends are usually on the top of the suspect list till proven otherwise. I would like to mention that at this time Bobby was on paid administrative leave and that the Canton Police Department did handle some of the investigation into the disappearance of Jesse Davis. He was on paid leave for something else. Thankfully, the FBI and Stark County Sheriff's Department got involved. The FBI and Sheriff's Department got involved because there was evidence of foul play. One thing that did not sit well with investigators is what two-year-old Blake had said, Mommy's in the rug. The FBI and Sheriff's Department would continue to question Bobby. On June 20th, they would search Bobby's home in Plain Township. During this search, investigators removed boxes and bags of items from Bobby's home. This was still being treated as a missing person case. Investigators had to prove that a crime had been committed. A group of volunteers of almost 2,000 people would search for almost three days looking for Jesse. There were times that Bobby did volunteer to help look for Jesse. On June 23rd, eight days after Jesse was reported missing, a body was recovered in Summit County. Summit County is north of Stark County. The body was found at Hampton Hills Metro Park area. This would be around 25 miles north of Jesse's home in Lake Township in Stark County. The area where the body was found was heavily covered with trees and brush. The body had been left unburied in a field not too far from a dirt road that led to a parking area. The body was badly decomposed and could not be identified at that time. The body was found on June 23rd, a Saturday at around 3.30 p.m. The following day, the Summit County Coroner would possibly identify the body as Jesse Davis. The cause of death could not be determined because of how badly the body had been decomposed. The coroner would have to use dental records to positively identify the body. 
Now, on June 23rd, the same day Jesse's body was found, 30-year-old Bobby Cutts, a Canton police officer, was arrested by the FBI and Stark County Sheriff's Department. The Canton Police Department had no part in the arrest of one of their officers. You might be wondering how law enforcement found Jesse's body in a different county. There were rumors that Bobby had helped lead the investigators to the body, and those rumors were confirmed. Bobby and his lawyer had gone to the FBI office. Bobby gave the investigators the location and directions to Jesse's body. Bobby and his lawyer and federal agents drove to Summit County. While in the back seat, Bobby gave more directions. Once they were in the park area, they drove around for about 90 minutes because they could not find the place that Bobby described. So they stopped and regrouped. They figured that Bobby called Jesse's phone around 7.14 a.m. They asked if Jesse was still in the vehicle at that time. Bobby said that she was still in the truck at that time, but not that much longer after that. Somehow they figured out that they were too far south and they headed north and eventually found the right spot. Jesse's body was in the tall grass and brush down a slight embankment on top of a burgundy and gold comforter. So did Bobby admit to murder? No. Bobby gave investigators two different stories about what happened to Jesse which investigators feared happened on June 14th of 2007. Bobby's first story was that he had gone over to Jesse's house and had gone inside. Jesse was on the floor and she had reached up and grabbed Bobby by the waistband of his pants. Then her eyes rolled back into her head and she died. Bobby said that he freaked out because he knew no one would believe him about what happened, so he hid the body. This was the story from a police officer. Why would a police officer think no one would believe him if he did nothing wrong? This doesn't even sound right to me. The second story that Bobby gave put Bobby there at the time of Jesse's death. However, Bobby said that it all was just an accident that he tried to cover up. Bobby's second story had him going over to Jesse's house to pick up his son Blake. When Bobby showed up at Jesse's house, Blake was not ready to go. Bobby had gone upstairs to Jesse's room where he found Jesse sitting on the floor. Bobby asked her what was wrong as she had said nothing was wrong, that she was just tired. Bobby told Jesse that she needed to get up and get Blake ready to go. Jesse did not get up, which frustrated Bobby, so Bobby grabbed Jesse by the arm and forced her to get up. An argument started between the two and Bobby said that he had tried just to leave, but Jesse had gotten in his way and grabbed a hold of him. Bobby broke free of Jesse's hold on him and he swung back with his elbow and elbowed Jesse in the throat. Jesse fell to the floor as Bobby was walking to the door. Bobby knew something was wrong and tried to give Jesse CPR, but Jesse had died. After giving this second story to the investigators, Bobby repeated that he felt he had to hide the body because no one would believe that Jesse's death was an accident. 
It's hard to believe something was an accident when someone goes so far to cover up what happened, especially when this person is a cop. This all happened while two-year-old Blake was in the house. Bobby said Blake was asleep while the argument was going on. So why did Blake say mommy broke the table? Or why did he say mommy's in the rug? Apparently Blake seen something. The prosecution would have to prove that this was no accident. That would be hard to do when Jesse's cause of death could not be determined. On August 1st of 2007, the medical examiner said that the cause of death could not be determined and that Jesse's death was considered an unspecified homicidal violence, which means she was murdered, but they did not know how she was murdered. Only two people know what happened on June 14th at Jesse's home. That's Bobby and Jesse. And unfortunately, Jesse can't give her side of the story. However, there was another person who got arrested for this crime. A black lady named Maisha Farrell. Bobby and Maisha were friends. They had graduated together in 1995 from Glen Oaks High School. They were possibly more than just friends. Investigators searched Maisha's apartment for evidence in the case. They looked for things like a cell phone, bed sheets, and cleaning supplies. Things were removed from Maisha's apartment. You might be wondering what was Maisha's part in all of this. After Jesse was dead, Bobby wrapped Jesse's body in a rug and then put Jesse's body in the back of his truck. Bobby then drove over to Maisha's place. Maisha worked at Denny's restaurant and had been up all night with friends. Bobby showed up at her place needing help and someone to talk to, so she got into the truck with him. While in the truck, Bobby was talking all over the place. Something was wrong with Bobby's baby's mama. At this point in time, Maisha did not see anyone else in the truck. Maisha asked Bobby what happened. Bobby made a choking motion with his hand. But nothing much was said about what happened. When they come to an open spot, Bobby stopped the truck. They both got out of the truck. That is when Maisha saw Jesse's feet in the back of the truck. The rest of Jesse's body was covered in a blanket. There were also white trash bags that contained some of Jesse's stuff in the back of the truck. This is when Maisha said that she did not want to see any more. Bobby got Jesse's body out of the truck and walked away from the truck. Maisha had gotten back inside of the truck. Bobby returned to the truck without the body, and then they drove off. On the way back, they made a stop at a gas station. They had stopped and Bobby had washed out the back of his truck. He had bought mulch to put in the back of his truck. He was trying to hide any evidence that Jesse's body was in the back of his truck. Then they drove back to Bobby's place in Plain Township. While on this drive, Bobby made two phone calls. One call was to let someone know that he would be late for football practice. Bobby was a football coach to young teenagers. Bobby was still planning on going to football practice. This is not the actions of someone who feels guilty about an accident that led to the death of his girlfriend. 
Remember, I am talking about someone who is a police officer. The second call that Bobby made was to Jesse's cell phone. Now, this phone call could have been made while they was on the way to drop off Jesse's body or after. But Bobby left a message on Jesse's phone asking why Jesse had not dropped off Blake. It sounds as though Bobby had thought that he had this pretty well planned out. Bobby then handed a pink cell phone to Amaisha. Maisha did not ask who the pink cell phone belonged to. She knew that it was Jesse's cell phone, not Bobby's. Maisha had thrown the cell phone out the truck window. They made it back to Bobby's place in Plain Township. Bobby took a shower and got dressed for football practice while Maisha waited on him. As Bobby was getting dressed, he asked Maisha if she could see any marks on his chest, which she replied, not really. Maisha noticed that Bobby's pinky was hurt, and she asked Bobby what happened. Bobby simply said, she bit me, referring to Jesse. At some point, Bobby and Maisha had gone separate ways. However, Bobby would call Maisha the next day. Bobby told Maisha that his baby's mom had gone missing. Maisha thought Bobby had gone crazy. Bobby told Maisha that if anyone wanted to talk to her, to tell them that she was supposed to babysit Blake, but Jesse had never dropped off Blake. It's hard for me to believe that a police officer went through this much to cover up an accidental death. I believe this was murder. I feel at one point that Bobby actually believed that he could possibly get away with this. Bobby was charged with two counts of murder, one charged for Jesse and the other charged for the unborn baby. An autopsy report revealed that the fetus was still inside of Jesse. Bobby's bail was set at $5 million. Prosecution said that they would be going for the death sentence if convicted. Maisha was charged with obstruction of justice. Before things could even go to trial, though, Maisha took a plea deal and traded her testimony against Bobby for a two-year prison sentence. Bobby was suspended from Canton Police Department without pay. Four days after Bobby's arrest, Bobby's wife filed for a divorce. Why wasn't Bobby fired from the police department at the time of his arrest? Canton Police Department said that they had been wanting to fire Bobby for some time, but never did. Bobby did not have a perfect police record. Bobby started with the Canton Police Department in 2000. By 2003, Bobby was already mixed up in some trouble. A drug raid was conducted on a place that belonged to Bobby's cousin, who was a known drug dealer. During that drug raid, a gun was found under a bed mattress. The gun belonged to a police officer named Bobby Cutts. Bobby had at first reported the gun stolen, and then he said that he gave his gun to his cousin for protection. For some reason, the Canton Police Department was ordered to reinstate Bobby as a police officer. I am surprised that Bobby was hired as a police officer in the first place. Bobby would have been on probation for something else in 2000. In 1998, Bobby pled no contest to a disorderly charge after he was accused of breaking into an ex-girlfriend's home. 
I was always told that pleading no contest to a charge is the same as pleading guilty. Bobby got three years probation for that, which means he would have been on probation at the time he was hired as a police officer. Or he just got off probation right before he was hired by the Canton Police Department. After Bobby's arrest, more women came forward saying that they were also dating Bobby. Bobby was married, but separated, and dating six women at the same time. One would think that this was too many women for one man but apparently not for Bobby. Investigators discovered that Bobby had been on an online dating website while everyone else was out looking for Jesse. Investigators believe that Bobby last logged into the dating site the day before he led them to Jesse's body. In 2006, Bobby had primary custody over his young daughter that he had with another woman who lived in California. In January of 2007, around four months before Jesse's murder, Bobby was accused of child abuse. Bobby's daughter was examined by a California doctor who saw signs of abuse. Bobby was accused of hitting, biting, and throwing things at his daughter, plus talking about things with a sexual nature to the young girl. A bitter custody battle would start up because of this. A judge would rule that the young girl should stay in her mom's care. After Bobby's arrest for murder, his legal actions to get custody of his daughter were dismissed. Some of Bobby's ex-girlfriends come forward to say that Bobby was not a good person. People were afraid to go to law enforcement about Bobby for two reasons. At times he could be a violent person. And there was the fact that he was a police officer. One thing prosecutors wanted to prove is that Bobby did not want to pay more child support. Jesse's unborn child was possibly Bobby's baby. Bobby already had three kids that he was paying child support on. Bobby was paying a couple of thousand dollars a month in child support. And it said that he was already in debt, even though he worked two jobs. Bobby did go to trial on February the 8th of 2008 where he faced murder charges. Prosecution did not believe that what happened to Jesse was an accident. They don't take someone to trial seeking the death penalty over an accident. Jesse did not deserve to die. Even if it was an accident, Jesse did not deserve for her body to be packed up into a truck and dumped into a park like trash. At the trial, Bobby did take the stand. Bobby was asked why he didn't just get his son ready. Bobby said because they had a routine. Jesse would get Blake ready while he put the car seat into the truck. Prosecution also asked Bobby why he didn't call anyone for help. Bobby said he didn't know how to work Jesse's cell phone and both of his cell phones were in his truck. Bobby said that he did what he did afterwards to feel normal and that he hoped that it didn't really happen. On February the 15th, Bobby Cutts, a Canton police officer, was convicted for the murder of Jesse Davis and her unborn child. It would then be up to a jury if Bobby gets the death penalty. On February the 27th, the jury refused to give Bobby the death penalty 
Bobby was sentenced to life in prison. Bobby won't be eligible for parole till he serves 57 years of his life sentence. Some of Bobby's family attended Jesse's funeral, but Blake did not. Jesse's family thought it would be too much for the young child. On December 15, 2008, it was ordered that Maisha Farrell be released after only serving one year of her two-year sentence. She was then put on three years of probation. If Maisha was telling the truth about her part in all this, then I believe it was the right thing to do to release her from prison. She didn't have anything to do with the death of Jesse. She actually didn't have anything to do with getting rid of Jesse's body. She did throw the cell phone out the window. And there is the fact that she did not report it to law enforcement. I don't think the things that she did wrong deserves a whole bunch of prison time. Bobby was first sent to Toledo Correctional Institution, where it is said that Bobby was a model prisoner. Bobby even helped prevent another inmate from committing suicide. There was an appeal on Bobby's behalf. In 2010, the U.S. Supreme Court refused to hear the murder conviction appeal for Bobby. Bobby's lawyers say that the trial should have taken place somewhere else other than Stark County because it was a high-profile trial. I believe a trial like this where a police officer is involved would be a high-profile trial wherever this trial would have taken place. At some point, Bobby would be moved to another correctional institution. Now, here's the thing that gets me about all this. Patty Porter, Jesse's mom, says she forgives Bobby, and she's trying to help Bobby get an early release from prison. Patty has already convinced the prison to let Bobby's son Blake send letters to Bobby. She is also trying to get the prison officials to let Bobby see Blake behind bars. I don't understand this. After everything that's been known about Bobby Cutts, she is trying to get that child to see Bobby behind bars. If something like that happened to my daughter and an unborn child, there is no way that that would happen. There would be no forgiveness. After everything I've discussed with this case, that is the one thing that baffles me. That is the one thing that I cannot wrap my mind around. Why would you want this man to see the only surviving child of his murder victim? I could be wrong altogether, and Patty could be doing the right thing by her grandson. I am Bill Swafford, and I have been your host for this episode of Murderers in Ohio. Please subscribe to the podcast and like, share, and rate. It does help out the podcast and myself. The podcast Murderers in Ohio and music was put together and performed by William Swafford. If you want to check out another great podcast that is hosted by me, Bill Swafford, then check out Cold Ohio, available on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Cold Ohio talks about cold cases from all over the state of Ohio. So check out Cold Ohio anywhere you get your podcast. Thank you.
got the devil on the road and over.